Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, unions are already endorsing Joe Biden. They shouldn't. Alabama is among the top 10 most deadly states for workers. Thousands of children are at work illegally across the South. We hear from our Madison City Council watcher and much more all that on the program today if you want to be part of the show we've got a phone number and the line is open we've already got the line open and that line is 844-899-TVLR that's 844-899-8857 you can call or text during the show and we might bring you on the air you can also leave a voicemail or shoot us a text message throughout the week Uh, If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us anywhere you find anything online. Just search for the Valley Labor Report. In particular, make sure you bookmark our website, tvlr.fm. We have new content going up there every day, write-ups from our clips, original articles, original reporting, commentary, analysis of, by, and for working people in the South. But we're also on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, all at The Valley Labor Report. Wherever you get your podcasts, The Valley Labor Report. Uh, If you want to become a sustaining donor to the program, if you want to make a one-time donation just to kind of give us a tip for a particularly good segment, if you want to buy our shirts or our stickers, you can do all that at our website as well. You can become a donor at tvlr.fm slash donate. You can buy our merch at tvlr.fm slash store. And you can become a patron at uh, at patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. If you're a member of a union, then you should get your local to sponsor the show. We could not do the show without our union sponsors. They are integral to the functioning of the show. So if you want more details on that, uh, then you can reach out to the show. Uh, DM us on any of our uh, media pages or go to tvlr.fm slash contact and uh, send us a message and we'll uh, get started working with you. Yeah, absolutely appreciate our sponsors. And I want to add a disclaimer that any viewpoints or opinions expressed in this program belong solely to their author and do not necessarily represent any organization or sponsor. We welcome all of our listeners, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, WVNN, WZZA, WHIV, or through your favorite podcast app. And we are proud to be part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network and encourage our listeners to check it out. Absolutely. Uh, so first up, before we get into any uh, any any of our newsy type content, we've got a, a shout out for a uh, th- there's a local event happening next week. 
uh, that y'all need to hear about uh, that Ben Job is working on. Ben, talk to us about Porch Fest. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for letting me on to talk about it because it is happening next week. That's the 6th Saturday, uh, 5 to 9 p.m. over at Five Points, historic Five Points in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, an old uh, converted mill neighborhood that's now like the swanky part of town, I guess. Very, very hip place to be. Mm. But uh, uh, check it out. It is a free event. It It's probably the best spot to see all these uh, local musicians and stuff you might have heard about uh, around town to see the local flavors coming through. I mean, uh, the big one, Wanda Wesolowski's band will be there. If y'all haven't heard of her, you got to check her out. One of the best mm. singer-songwriters. And people like Ali Free playing amazing music. And, uh, man, there's a, there's a lot of bands I'm pretty excited about. Uh, I'll be running a stage over there the whole time. And uh, it's you bring lawn chairs. Uh, they are closing down the road, thankfully, this year. So it'll be nice and safe. No, no cars burning up uh, during the sets. Uh, but you pretty much go to this one road over in five points. You can walk the road and, uh, take your choice. If you want to hear some jazz music, there's going to be Josh counts and his band, which is probably the top jazz guys in town. There's going to be people doing covers. I think there's a, the Brookliners are doing eyes around covers. If you want to hear some like 90s stuff, uh, there's a band called free candy, which is great friends of mine that, uh, do kind of jam band stuff. There's a drop diver an amazing, uh, just like classic rock it's like real old style rock and they're younger guys but they they do it up so good and uh i mean there's 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 a lot more what about <laughs> xy spaces is xy spaces i don't be think there? xy is oh, there no. they, and technically i think xy is is out of decatur or something so mm. i don't know if they if they were double booked or what gotcha. i would love to see them there uh but yeah there's there's a i'm trying to think the beastie boys that's the other one i wanted to mention which is okay. a beastie boys cover band that the beastie uh goys? The beastie goys yes okay. but you gotta <laughs> see them isn't that's that a... like a jewish slur for white people <laughs> <laughs> i i think yeah i think it's for for non-jewish people uh but but it's it's uh they they put on a great show like you gotta okay. see that uh so yeah if and there's food trucks um like i said all free very family and dog friendly as long as they're chill, you know, keep them on a leash. Right. Um, right. But uh, I'm very excited that they're they're kind of endorsing it officially, closing the road and letting uh, people at Five Points really have a blast because it's going to be a good time. So. Awesome. BYOB? Or their food trucks. There's going to be food trucks there. There, aren't there is food trucks and you can bring coolers if you want to like stash something in the cooler. I awesome. believe that's uh, that's very accepted and encouraged. And usually there's some art vendors and uh, musicians will will sell some stuff there too. So, yeah, ch check it out awesome. and support the scene. It's totally free. So like oh, you can't wow. can't get better than that. You know. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, and it's from when five to nine. Five to nine next five Saturday nine over Saturday. at Five Points. If you get on University Drive or Pratt Avenue and go east, you're mm -hmm. gonna hit you're gonna hit uh, Porch Fest. So okay, that's all you need to do. Check all it out. Right. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. Looking Definitely. Thanks for having me on. All right, folks. So let's get into this. Um, Workers Memorial Day uh, was yesterday, April 28th. Uh, that is the day that the labor movement observes uh, and uh, observes Workers Memorial Day. It's when we remember workers that are killed, injured, or made ill on the job. Um, and it's a day to renew our commitment to fight for strong safety and health protections. It is set on the anniversary of the uh, initiation of the Occupational Safety and Health Act. 
um, which was more than 50 years ago. More than 50 years ago on April 28th, uh, OSHA went into effect. And, you know, it's important to remember that that law was won because of tireless efforts of the labor movement, um, organizing for safer working conditions and stuff like that. Um, after more than 50 years of OSHA, over 668,000 workers can say that their lives have been saved by its passage. And that's according to uh, the AFL-CIO, right, Adam? Right, right. Uh, but... The work is not done. Each year, thousands of workers are still killed. Millions are injured. Uh, hundreds, uh, 100,000 workers every year die because of occupational illnesses. Um, so it's, you know, there's still definitely a lot to do. Uh, the AFL-CIO puts out an annual death on the job report that we're going to be digging into here in a little bit. Um, but uh, w one of the things that they mentioned here in this um uh, it, it is that the the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, as well as the Mine Safety and Health Administration, really, they just lack the resources that they need to protect workers. Um, many employers and uh, workers never even see OSHA in their workplaces. Uh, and the GAO, the Government Accountability Office, reports uh, they show that a majority of employers fail to report workplace injuries due to uh, OSHA's limited uh, procedures and penalties that are still too low to be a deterrent. So corporations exploit those weaknesses and create environments uh, where workers are not adequately protected when they speak out against unsafe working conditions. Black, Latino, and immigrant workers are disproportionately killed on the job, and workers still cannot freely join a union uh, without retaliation from their employers. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, there's some hope. There, there is some hope, right, Adam? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, through the labor movement, that's how working people have won safety and health protections, you know, from the shop floor all the way to the halls of Congress. Uh, you name it, any safety feature in your workplace probably came from the struggle of workers before you. Uh, you know, I was speaking to some high school students yesterday on Workers Memorial Day about uh, this very subject and, and talk to them about, hey, do you like fire exits? Uh, are fire alarms pretty handy in your life? I mm -hmm. would say yes. And the reason we have that is thanks to the fights of the labor movement. And, you know, whether that's historically or today, unions are still today fighting for safe jobs for everyone, regardless of their race or gender or employment or background. Winning strong standards from governments and employers raises the standard of practice for all of us, and educating working people on their rights keeps our most vulnerable from being silenced. The labor movement is a community that comes together to ensure everyone goes home at the end of a work shift, alive and without the chronic illnesses caused by work exposures that continue to plague many workers. And, you know, it's... I know we're going to get into this a little bit more on the report, uh, the death on the job report, but I mean, over 300 Americans die on the job every day now, mm. now. I mean, and that's that's not ancient history. Mm -hmm. um, and that's in the United States of America. And, you know, we just had an anniversary of that that massive uh, garment worker disaster in Bangladesh uh, 10 years ago. Mm. It was just an anniversary there. Um 
And so it's just a reminder of how dangerous it is for so many of us to go to work. Uh, we risk our lives and our limbs and our, our health and safety. And our government has not taken adequate steps to protect us from exploitative corporations and employers. Because at the end of the day, their goal is to make as much profit as possible. And sometimes our own health and safety gets in the way of that pursuit of profit. And it's up to us to organize to be strong enough to ensure that we can have safe workplaces and we can ensure the government upholds its promise that it was made, you know, this promise was made to us with OSHA that we would have safe workplaces. So, you know, together on Workers Memorial Day is a good time to raise our voices and, and to speak out for stronger safety and health protections in our workplaces and have stronger job safety and health laws. We have to hold employers accountable to keep workers safe. Uh, we demand action on critical safety and health protections against preventable workplace hazards such as heat illness, workplace violence, infectious diseases, silica and mining and toxic chemical exposures. We demand more resources from Congress for our nation's job safety agencies to hold employers accountable. And above all, we demand dignity at work. We will organize and fight for the fundamental right of every worker to a safe job until that promise is fulfilled. Let us remember the dead and fight for the living. And so let's talk about some of this, some of these numbers that the AFL put out, because they are really, really staggering. And th these are coming from uh, the annual death on the job report uh, from the AFL-CIO, the America's Largest Labor Federation. It's the 32nd one of these reports that they put out annually. And one of the key findings here this year is that uh, black workers and Latino workers are dying on the job more than they have in 10 years. Wow. The highest death rate. I mean, workplaces in America are becoming less safe. Becoming less safe. Uh, in a time where workers are, are where uh, employers, where bosses are bragging about record profits. Here's from uh, the AFL's press release. The report shows the fatality rate for black workers grew from 3.5 to 4 workers per 100,000. And more than 650 died on the job. That's just black workers in just one year. The highest number in nearly two decades. Latino workers have the greatest risk of dying on the job with a fatality rate of 4.5 per 100,000. That has grown 13% over the past decade. There was also a slight uptick in deaths for Latino workers in 2021, and the overwhelming majority who died were immigrants. And uh, Liz Schuler mentions that, you know, the report, it's not just about data points, because behind each one of these deaths, each one of these thousands, tens of thousands of deaths, is a person. Every worker who died, says Liz Schuler, every worker who died on the job represents another empty seat at a family's kitchen table. Every worker accounted for in this report is a person who just went to work one day and never came home. Uh, and, you know, that's really important to recognize. And, and, and there has been studies showing this, that, that when you talk about, you know, once these numbers get so abstract, 
they become less meaningful to people. And so it's important to to not let yourself uh, kind of fall into that trap of uh, uh, of thinking about these as statistics as opposed to as opposed to stories and people. Um, but some of these top line numbers in 2021, 343 workers every day, every day died from hazardous working conditions. About 5,200 workers over the year were killed on the job in the United States. An estimated 120,000 died from occupational diseases. In one year, 120,000. The job fatality rate increased to 3.6 per 100,000 workers. Employers reported and remember, I just told you that the majority of employers do not report work-related injuries and illnesses. And we're going to get to some Alabama-specific data here in a bit. Employers reported 3.2 million work-related injuries and illnesses. The true impact of COVID-19 infections due to workplace exposures is unknown. Limited data show that more than 1.5 million Nursing home workers have been infected with COVID-19 and more than 3,000 have died. That's just the nursing home workers, right? Fewer data are now reported on job injuries and illnesses related to workplace violence, musculoskeletal disorders, and heat illnesses, which continue to be major problems, and underreporting is widespread. The true toll of work-related injuries and illnesses is 5.4 million to 8.1 million each year just in the private industry. Not even in the public sector, which accounts for how much of, you know, how many workers are public sector workers? One in ten? One in, uh, one in five? It's a lot. It's a lot of workers. Hundreds of thousands. Over a million. The report also lays out recommendations for strengthening federal agencies tasked with enforcing worker safety. In 2021, there are 1,800 inspectors. 1,871. 900 at the federal level and 971 at the state level. But in Alabama, there are zero. Zero federal uh, zero inspectors in the state of Alabama tasked with enforcing worker safety. Zero. 900 inspectors at the federal level, 971 at the state level for more than 10.8 million workplaces under the Occupational Safety and Health Act's jurisdiction. That equates to the Federal Occupational and Safety, Safety and Health Administration having the ability to inspect every workplace. Get this. Once, one time, once, every 190 years. Wow. Once every two centuries is the capacity with which our government has to inspect workplaces. Once every two centuries. Just $3.99 in OSHA's budget to protect each worker. Less than $4 per worker is how much is allocated to protect our safety and our health. Penalties for employer violations remain too low to be a deterrent, and fewer than 130 worker deaths have been criminally prosecuted, get this, not just in the last year. I told you that there were 5,000, 5,000. 
thousand workers died last year from a work-related accident. 120,000 last year died due to workplace-related uh, illnesses. So having those numbers in your head, I'll give you two or three seconds. Guess how many employer, uh, how many worker deaths have been criminally prosecuted since 1970? With those numbers in your head, 5,000 workers died on the job last year. 120,000 died uh, from workplace-related illnesses. 130 worker deaths have been criminally prosecuted since 1970. 130 over 50 years. That is less than two per year. Two criminal prosecutions every year. When we have tens of thousands of workers dying because of their boss's neglect. AFL Safety and Health Director Rebecca Reindel says that the federal agencies responsible for safeguarding workers were created for a reason and it's past time past time that they receive the funding and staffing they need to create and enforce worker protection standards. Employers should be held accountable for the working conditions on job sites, and our lawmakers at every level must use their power to properly enforce the policies designed to protect us. Some more numbers uh, nationwide. The industries with the highest fatality rates in 2021 were, first, the most deadly occupation in the country was agriculture, forestry, fishing, and hunting with a uh, fatality rate of 19.5 per 100,000 workers. Mm. That is four times, more than four times the national average. Uh, transportation and warehousing, 14.5 per 100,000, more than three times the national average. Mining, quarrying, and oil and gas extraction, 14.2 per 100,000, construction 9.4 per 100,000, and wholesale trade 5.1 per 100,000. Uh, it's worth noting that uh, law enforcement is not in the top five most dangerous professions. You know, I did notice that. Yeah. Just worth a note, worth a note. Do we need a thin green line? I mean, our, honestly, you know, to honor the folks in agriculture, forestry, and fishing honestly, and hunting. I mean, I, you know, it's a much more deadly occupation. Yeah. We, I'm uh, just saying. Know, miners, transportation workers, drivers, you know, they don't get any kind of special, special hubbub whenever they die. So let's talk about Alabama. Let's talk about Alabama. I already said in Alabama, we have zero people none nobody nobody in the state of alabama who cares ostensibly about law and order nobody in tasked with enforcing workplace safety and health standards nobody there are 27 federal inspectors assigned to alabama which gives those federal inspectors uh, uh, the ability to inspect every workplace in Alabama once every 150 years, once every century and a half. 
In Alabama last year, 111 workers died because of workplace injuries. 32,600 workers died of workplace-related uh, illnesses. We are among the top 10 most deadly states for workers. The uh, number one state being the safest, the number 50 state being the least safe. We are number 43. We had the seventh highest death rate for workers in the state of Alabama. However, and you know, this may be related to some of the some <laughs> some of the numbers that I mentioned earlier, like how we have zero people tasked with enforcing uh, safety and health standards in this state. We have a higher than average fatality rate. I just told you it's among the top 10 most deadly states in the country to be if you're a worker. If you're a working person, Alabama is one of the top 10 most deadly states. However, our illness and injury reporting, the the number of illnesses and injuries reported by employers in the state of Alabama is lower than the national average. Hmm. Hmm. The math isn't really uh Adding up there. Yeah, the math is not mathin' there. The math is not mathin' there. Really, really gross stuff. I guess, you know, should we be surprised to see Alabama rank in the bottom 10 yet again when it comes to our quality of life? Yeah. Um, we have seen throughout the history of the state of Alabama that our state government does not care about working class people. It has made it a priority to support employers and at the expense of employees. That's why we have zero federal inspectors. We have legislators who are now poring over pre-K textbooks to see if anything is too quote-unquote woke. Right. Yet we have zero people who work for state government in this state who are supposed to look at safety and health of working people, which is the vast majority of Alabamians, right? The mm -hmm. vast majority of Alabamians are working class. We don't own anything. Maybe we own a car, perhaps, at most, but most of us don't own anything. We don't live off profits. We don't live off rents. We don't live off dividends. We don't live off interest. We live off our wages. And yet our state government cares so little but this is the result. Yeah. Yeah. Zero uh, work inspectors, but we have a lot of woke inspectors. Right? Yes, we do. Yeah. So really great use of, of resources of state funds. Um, uh, one more story on the theme of Workers Memorial Day. Uh, last week, the National Council for Occupational Safety and Health, National Kosh, announced the council's annual list of 12 employers whose unsafe practices put the health and lives of workers as well as the safety of communities at risk, known as the Dirty Dozen. Railroad Workers United submitted an, uh, a nomination for the Class 1 railroads, uh, the Class one railroad employers for their uh, lack of safety, their lack of uh, support for their workers when it comes to safety and health. And uh, the National Kosh agreed. 
the National Kosh placed the big Class 1 railroads among them after being nominated for the distinction by Railroad Workers United in February. Uh, in a statement from Railroad Workers United, uh, the General Secretary J Jason Doring says, Rail workers have for years been blowing the whistle on unsafe practices of Class 1 railroads. These employers have pushed for single-person crews, implemented precision-scheduled railroading, where cost-cutting measures have resulted in longer, heavier trains with fewer workers, while cutting back on both inspections and maintenance. Put in place disciplinary policies, forcing sick workers into work, failed to offer paid sick time, and continued their long-standing practice of retaliating against rail workers who report safety hazards and job-related injuries. Um, and they also mentioned that the East Palestine disaster uh, really kind of brought folks' attention to what railroad workers have been warning about for years, for decades. Uh, from that report, the National Kosh mentioned a, uh, a witness from a railroad worker, the last name of Cox, saying that precision scheduled railroading has cut the workforce to the bare minimum. I have witnessed railroads, according to this worker, demanding one minute per car safety inspections. One minute per car, 60 seconds. They also say that over six years, the Class 1 freight rails have reduced staff by, four, uh, by 30%. By 30%, eliminating 45,000 jobs. Norfolk Southern's train accident rate, meanwhile, measured by the Federal Railway Administration, increased by 25% just between 2019 and 2022. They're cutting staff. Accidents are increasing, and meanwhile, the company is posting record profits just in 2022, and just in profits, not in operating revenue. I'm talking about profits. They got $4.8 billion, $4.8 billion, with a B, in profits. Aaron Hiles, a locomotive engineer at B BNSF, wasn't feeling well but postponed a doctor's appointment because he was called to work on short notice and didn't want to be penalized under the company's strict attendance policy. A few weeks later, on June 16th, 2022, he died of a heart attack in the engine room of a freight train. In December of 2022, tens of thousands of rail workers were ready to go on strike to win paid sick leave among some of these uh, among some of these other fights, but were denied the right to take job action by President Biden and Congress under the terms of the Railway Labor Act. And so, those are just some of the some of the reasons for why the National Kosh agreed. Uh, that they deserved, uh, that the uh, big class one railroads deserved the uh, indistinction of being among the dirty dozen worst employers for occupational safety and health last year. Really pretty gross stuff. Pretty gross stuff. And so with that, we're going to go ahead and head to a break. Uh, we'll be right back with our Madison City Council watcher, Tristan Gilbert, uh, talking about the last month in Madison City. Uh, if you want to get in on the conversation, the phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. IBW 558 is like a great football team. 
You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAC. The sign hit the city like a bolt of lightning. You know the photo. It's iconic. Marches in the streets holding a simple sign with a simple message. I am a man. The I Am Story podcast explores the fight that inspired those words. How a group of sanitation workers in Memphis stood up and made history. They don't see us as men and women. Go to IamStory.com or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. 
When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senior Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senior Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senior Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senior Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senior Law. The name with proven results. Come on, you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Labor creates all wealth, all wealth should go to labor, and this is the Valley Labor Report, folks. My name is Jacob Morris, and my co-host is Adam Keller. We've got a phone number in the line is open, 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can call or text, and we'll, uh, we might respond on the air or bring you on if you call in. Got a, a text from a longtime viewer, Infinite Content, about uh, the Teamsters and Amazon. We're going to be talking about that in overtime. Uh, but, you know, the brief summary is that uh, some te- uh, some uh, Amazon drivers unionized with the Teamsters. They got a uh, they were voluntarily recognized by their employer, a contractor of Amazon, and they have a tentative agreement already, uh, which is wild wild stuff really cool yeah really cool we're going to be talking about some of that stuff uh you know some of the maybe complexities there in overtime uh little jimmy gonna be responding to your comment here in just a bit when we get to this biden story um yeah so uh but right now we're gonna talk about madison city madison city is huntsville's little brother (laughs) Huntsville's little brother right to the west of us um, surrounded on all sides actually by Huntsville I think Um, uh, it's uh, a but uh, another fun fact it is the actual official home of the Rocket City Trash Pandas the newly unionized minor league baseball team here in the area and we have a friend of the show Tristan Gilbert watches all of the Madison City Council meetings, so you don't have to, so I don't have to. <laughs> and so he comes on once a month to give us the lowdown on what's happening over there. Tristan, welcome to the Valley Labor Report. Morning, Jacob. Can you hear me? I can. You sound great. So, Excellent. Glad to be on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, so talk to us what's been going on uh, during the month of April over in Madison City. So month after month, it's a lot of the same stuff. Um, I'll start with the most controversial thing because that's what gets everybody's blood pumping. Uh, The city council voted to move the bulk of public comments to the end of the meetings. So it's the last thing on the agenda instead of one of the first. Um, They do still take comments that are specifically for agenda items near the beginning. So, but for that, you have to go, uh, you have to go up you have to say which agenda item you're commenting on, and then you've got your regular three minutes, and the president will cut you off. That's President Bartlett. If you stray off topic, um, then even if you spoke up top, you'll be able to come back. So you could talk for six minutes if you want, but there is a concern there that they're doing this uh, right now in uh, like coming into May when this special election for the potential government transition is. Um, the justification is that they they have all these department heads who give reports towards the end and that they're, uh, 
you know, they have early days. They start at like five in the morning or something. And then uh, they had to sit through the meetings, which were made longer by further public comments. Um, but then the, there's the question of whether or not they, they should need to hear all that stuff. And one mm -hmm. of the council members, uh, Karen Denzine of, I think, District 7, uh, she had quite the case uh, as to why she would not uh, vote to move the comments. Um, yeah, and we pulled uh, that. We yeah. pulled that, Tristan. So let's go ahead and Adam play this clip from the Madison City Council meeting. Okay, I have comments. I believe listening to the citizens is the first order of business, not the last. I do not support suddenly changing the public comments to the end especially if we're doing it for a trial period in April and May when we have this very important election coming up. Um, and so we're looking at changing our government. So to have people be able to come, I applaud the citizens that have been engaged in the process, have taken the time to come to the city council and to make their voices heard. Um, I've always championed the voice of the citizen. Um, and as such, I do not see a compelling reason to change the Madison way that we've always done it. I don't believe we have to do like, like Huntsville or anyone else. We're Madison, we've always done it this way. We've always put the citizen's voice first. Um, and I do appreciate our, our department heads and that the fact that they have to sit through this. But this has really been an unusual circumstance. Um, it's not all the time that our comments go hours or whatever. They are usually very brief. I can remember years where it was just Bibi that got up and spoke at a city council meeting. This is an unusual thing, so I hate to look at it, changing a whole way we do things because we're in an unusual circumstance. This is only through May. Um, but I do appreciate that they have to wait. But I also think it's good for the department heads to hear what the people have to say. I believe that's important too. Um, and respect really is a two-way street. I believe keeping the public comments at the beginning of the meeting shows respect for the citizen's voice. Just as respectfully addressing the city council shows deference for fellow citizens. So I'll be voting now. And that's a pretty compelling case, I think, to vote no, because uh, you know, we've been talking, you know, we've just been doing this Madison City Council Watch segment since the uh, the council manager uh, proposal has been put up, since that that has been kind of an issue in Madison. And there's been a lot of controversy around that. I think some warranted, some not. I think probably if I was, if I lived in Madison, I would probably vote no. I would probably vote no. That would be, that would be my inclination. Uh, you know, some of that is, uh, some of the reasons in the vote no campaign are, are, they seem reasonable and some seem maybe a little bit less reasonable, but you know, um, and so the public comments have been going a really long time, right? But this is, that's not super common. And, and so it is, it is kind of weird to change the entire way that the city council meetings are operated because of one controversial period in the council. Yeah, it feels pretty heavy-handed and uh, self-serving. Um, I, I will mention so far this is only a temporary measure. It'll be in place through May, and then they'll vote mm. whether to switch back to how it was. But again, May is when all of this is happening, so it's uh, right. it's 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 a little it's 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 a little tightly wound right now. Um, 
and Karen Denzing was the only one to vote no on that measure. Everybody else voted yes. So it is it's in place. The second meeting went that way. Um, the second it, it went fine, I guess, like uh, fine in asterisks there. Like everybody um, mostly stuck to the agenda, figured out the new rules and uh, still had people talking at the end. But uh, you heard her case. I, I think I agree with her. She she made a good argument. Yeah. Um, next bit of, uh, interesting, hopefully a little bit more low impact. Uh, the council was asking that people stop cleaning the gravestones with bleach as it deteriorates them over time, um, hmm. which can, uh, kind of, kind of ruin the, the historical record in a way. So if you have any loved ones interred hmm. in Madison graveyards before using bleach to clean the uh, gravestones, uh, give your city council person a call. Uh, they're they're putting up a they're putting up an online resource so people know which solvent to use. I believe. Okay. Um. So that's my up top news. A little more at the end. I want to talk for a brief bit about just a trend I've been seeing and where I kind of think the city is going. Uh, this is not related to the city manager uh, issue at all, but mm -hmm. uh, week after week, uh, people are in there are. Uh, People come and complain about traffic. If you've ever driven through Madison at rush hour, you know the traffic's pretty bad. Um, but you've also got people complaining about the uh, the way Madison has drifted away from its sort of small town roots. Um, and they mentioned things like not just traffic, but like uh, how it used to not have multi-level dwellings. And I kind of think that that the multi-level dwellings thing is a way to talk around uh, both the issue of like uh, ha uh, having higher density in a city and having like higher diversity because higher density tends to be a little cheaper brings in uh, more marginalized people um and i've been learning a lot about urbanism lately i've got only two minutes to talk about it so i'll keep it kind of brief but like madison's experiencing an unprecedented amount of growth in the last five to ten years and I think if they're going to, I, I, I think that there's a lot of uh, a lot of yearning for a time when it was smaller, and a lot of people are wanting to cling to that small town. Everybody has a a house with a big yard feel, and mm. you can drive around it easily. But I don't see a way to go back to that. Right. And I feel like the way to embrace that growth is to like densify, put in public transportation, and have mm. like walkable areas with commercial areas that you don't have to drive to but i just really doubt the political will is there to to shift mindsets and go that way so i think it's just going to get worse it's going to become a suburban hell kind of already is yeah that's that would be kind of that would be kind of my guess and you know and and and, and you know look i don't know i've never lived in a place with uh public transportation but i have uh, worked in places with public transportation. I've, I've worked in, uh, you know, I've taken work trips to DC a few times and it, it does feel really, there is a certain amount of freedom of, of like not being shackled to your car everywhere you go. 
right? Uh, there's a, yeah. you know, there's definitely a certain amount of freedom that that I felt that I enjoyed being able to walk everywhere I needed to go or take a train that was you know relatively inexpensive. It was really nice. Whereas living here, you have to have a car. You got to have a car anywhere you go. And it's just, you know, I don't know. It is not, uh, it, it's it's a lot. <laughs> and even in places with really thoroughly developed public transportation like Amsterdam, it's mm -hmm. better for people who are driving in cars too. So if you really right. love your car and you're not just taking it because it's the most convenient option or the only option like it is around here, um, you'd still be better off there because you'd be getting all the people who would rather not off the road. You wouldn't have to share it with them. Right. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, and my last little bit here, a uh, little bit more news. Uh, just a reminder, the special election for how Madison's government is going to look is going to take place on May 9th. Be ready for it. Uh, read up. If you want to know more about that, uh, I Vote Madison is hosting a citizens debate on May 3rd. That'll be from 530 to 7 in Auditorium 1 of the Madison Public Library. Um, it's a Braver, Angel Braver Angels style debate. Sorry there. Um, and, uh, that I, you can read more about that on their website. That's ivotemadison.com slash citizen debate. And, uh, as far as I can tell, braver angels style means it's, uh, they sort of balance the groups of pro and con, uh, for and against for a given issue. They pre-register candidates. They have a couple of professional, well-informed people up front and then other citizens who pre-registered can join in on the debate as well. Uh, so again, ivotemadison.com slash citizen debate for more info on that. Uh, go get your uh, go get your learning in. Thanks, guys. Right. <laughs> thanks, Tristan. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks again, man. Talk to you next month. See ya. All right. And so with that, uh, we're gonna get to our the the thing that that I highlighted at the top, um, which is. And you know, it's a bit more political for us, but this is definitely in the news, and. Um, and, and unions have been jumping in on it. And and that is that uh, President Joe Byron, Joe Byron has announced that he is running for re-election. It was on Monday or Tuesday. He came out with his ad. And, you know, like a lot of these ads, there was a lot of platitudes, didn't really mean a whole lot. And... You know, I don't know. It, a lot of people, I think, kind of expected it. There was a lot. There was some talk at the at the beginning of his term about like figuring that he was going to be a one term president, um, that he was going to intentionally, you know, I'm just going to step back and I'm not going to run for reelection. But no, he is running for reelection at 81, 81 years old. Really kind of wild stuff. Um, but you know, on the other hand, who, who on the democratic side would run if not for Joe Biden, which is kind of pretty sad. Um, you know, I think it's obvious that Kamala Harris would do worse. Pete Buttigieg would do worse. Um, there is Gavin Newsom and JB Pritzker. And we were talking about Jay what's Inslee, his? Jay Inslee. He's been, uh, up in Washington has been kind of interesting. So I don't know, maybe they could build a campaign uh, if Biden wasn't running, but obviously they're not going to because Biden is running. And uh, Biden announced, and already within this first week, he has had several major union endorsements. Um, he's had the SEIU 
which represents almost a million workers, IATSE, representing hundreds of thousands of workers, the Amalgamated Transit Union, the Iron Workers Union, the Electrical Workers Union, the National Education Association, American Federation of Teachers, uh, you know, lots and lots of unions coming out and already endorsing him within a week of his announcement. And I, I just have an issue with that. I just have an issue with that. Um, in all of their statements about this, and all of their statements about this, every one of them just about mentioned that he's either the most pro-union president in history, in history or the most pro-union since FDR. I think the first one is flatly untrue. I think FDR was certainly more pro-union than, uh, <laughs> than Joe Biden. The second one might be true, maybe. Probably, probably. Yeah, I mean, who? Because, because you got to think about that. If you know, if Joe Biden's not the most pro-union president since FDR, then who would be? Who would be the most pro-union? Uh, you president could maybe since... make an argument for Truman or Eisenhower or Kennedy yeah. as being, you know, more pro or Johnson even, you know, being more pro-labor. I mean, I'll give him credit. He's he's more pro-labor than Obama and Clinton. Yes, and that would be, of course, the standard comparisons there. Right. And so, you know, maybe, maybe that is, uh, you know, maybe that's some of the... And, and uh, we're talking degrees of difference here, like... Right, right. We're not talking drastic leaps, degrees. Leaps and bounds. Right, yeah. right, yeah. I mean, you know, frankly, more marginal than significant, in my personal opinion. The Amalgamated Transit Union had a graphic that says, we're riding with Biden. Uh, and they said in their statement, one thing is crystal clear throughout our nation's politically divisive times. Joe has consistently stood for workers, public transit, and working families every step of the way. Public transit? I mean, what are they even talking about there? I don't even know what that is a reference to. IATSE mentioned, and you know, look, each one of these unions, there are some things that each one point to that are real measurable material benefits to their members that have ha that has happened under the Biden administration with greater or lesser involvement from the president himself. Um, IATSE mentioned the American Rescue Plan Act, which provided IATSE members relief uh, during the COVID times when, you know, obviously IATSE theatrical and stage employees, you know, for about two wasn't a lot, years. Wasn't a lot of live entertainment happening. Wasn't a lot of live entertainment. And so that unemployment stimulus was really important to keeping those folks, keeping those folks, their heads above water while uh, the industry recovered. And so, you know, that's, I mean, that's real. That's real. That's not nothing, right? And it's not even, when I say it's not nothing, I don't even mean that to discount it. Like, that's a lot. The unemployment stimulus was really a huge thing for keeping the economy afloat and for keeping people afloat as they were waiting for their jobs to reopen. And as now, most people are back in their jobs. And for the last year or year and a half, that unemployment in, uh, stimulus, or even two years in Alabama, has been... Um, has been expired, even though people still like to pretend. And it's super weird this that this talking point is still around about how the government is giving too much people money and that's why nobody wants to work anymore. Even though we have a higher workforce participation rate than we have in decades, we have the lowest unemployment record uh, uh, rate that we have in, <laughs> than we have in decades, and uh, there's no more unemployment stimulus. Wild talking point, but it was very important while it lasted. 
The iron workers in their statement mentioned that, uh, you know, they mentioned the bipartisan infrastructure law, uh, you know, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, the Chips and Science Act, which we've talked about the Chips Act just a couple weeks ago, and how that has really been a giveaway to major corporations without important uh, uh, strings attached for workers and for labor and for unions. And the IBEW in particular, they represent rail workers. <laughs> and the day, the IBEW actually came out the day and endorsed Joe Biden. And, you know, it, it's just, it seems really inappropriate, inappropriate at this stage in the game to endorse Joe Biden so quickly because, you know, and David Griscom was mentioning this on Left Reckoning when, and, and he was talking about that this in relation to, to Bernie endorsing Joe Biden because Bernie endorsed Joe Biden on the same day, I think. And the message that sends with Bernie and with labor is not that Joe Biden is the least bad option. We are a distinct movement with distinct uh, um, imperatives, things that we're fighting for. And among the people that there are, Joe Biden will be the best enemy to face. Right. That's that could be an accurate, you know, that that I, if an endorsement said that this week, then I would be interested in reading that and I would not take such an issue with it. But all of these endorsements are just gushing, gushing about how great Biden is. And I, there's just no reason to do that. There's no reason to do that at all. You can say that you're going to vote for Biden, that, that, you know, members should vote for Biden and, and, you know, but recognize the, um, recognize the limitations and, and yeah. what, uh, what an endorsement now sends is that we're part of the same movement. Joe Biden and labor are in lockstep and that's just simply not the case. No, it's not. It's simply not it, the case. It's not. And, you know, it it does bother me as well. And I'm willing to to admit reality, right? I, I'm willing to acknowledge that more than likely the 2024 presidential election will be between Joe Biden and someone else who is worse. Right. I'm willing to accept that that is almost certainly the, the likelihood. Uh, and therefore, it's not unreasonable to expect that unions would endorse Joe Biden given the, those circumstances. But I agree with you about the gushing nature of these these press releases and these endorsements, because if anything, it should be the opposite. The Democrats should be gushing about labor and begging us for their votes and for resources, for our volunteer time, for our contributions, for our votes. That's the way it should be. They should be begging us, not the other way around. Right. Yeah. And the uh, State Employees Association of New Hampshire uh, mentions that, um, you know, they declined to endorse Joe Biden at this time. Um, 
and I and they strike a really good balance in this in this declaration that they have for him. They say, after careful consideration and in in and in stark contrast to the State Employees Association affiliate Service Employees International Union (SEIU), we want to make it clear that we are not endorsing Joe Biden for re-election in the upcoming presidential race at this time. Following a robust analysis of the current political landscape, we have come to the conclusion that our members and the, and the New Hampshire voters deserve a competitive Democratic primary. While we respect President Biden's decades of experience in public service and his commitment to public policy, we believe that his record and actions during his first term as president do not merit an automatic reendorsement. We mm. eagerly await his return to the Granite State to continue the conversation about his labor priorities, and our door is always open to President Biden. <clears throat> we wholeheartedly believe that it is important for our country to have a leader who is fully committed to labor. We need a president who will champion a significantly higher minimum wage, the PRO Act, rail workers' right to strike, Starbucks workers' right to organize, and truly all working people's rights to a living wage. The New Hampshire Union acknowledged that its reluctance may not be shared by its members and supporters, but they say, we hope that they will understand that we are acting in the best interests of our union, our community, and our country. We will continue to monitor the political landscape and engage in discussions with other candidates who share our values and vision for the future. We encourage all our members to exercise their right to vote and to support candidates who reflect their values and beliefs. This is a good statement. This is not, and it's not a statement that's coming out with, uh, you know, barn burners about how terrible Biden is. And it's even, you know, recognizing that there are some positives and there are right. But the, the, the statement there, the statement that is the most Im important, his record and actions do not merit an automatic reendorsement. And that is a fact. That is just a fact. They don't. They do not merit an automatic reendorsement, and we should not be giving it to them as labor. And and so, because of the things like denying rail workers the right to strike, that's a huge thing. And the idea that, I mean, it's just, you know, and, and David also mentioned in the chat, David Story, friend of the show, co-founder, he mentioned that one of the things that it does is it also um, serves to hamper potential competition. And that's absolutely right. The more people come mm -hmm. out and endorse Biden, the less likely it will be for another Democratic candidate to jump in, the less easy it will be for other candidates to gain traction. And which is not even to say that I would anticipate other uh, candidates jumping in in the absence of union endorsements. It just does not look. It does not look good. Right. And it also it so it forecloses opportunities it, and, and potential. And you know, we don't know yet if if there is gonna be a candidate who is authentically more pro labor. That is possible. Uh you know, again, realistically he's an incumbent president. I don't expect a significant challenge necessarily, and I don't necessarily expect him to lose. But also, we are on in unprecedented times politically, right? Right. I mean, who expected someone to lose an election and try to stay in office? Right. Um, you know, there's just a lot happening here. And yeah, I, I just don't like the automatic nature of this. I don't mm -hmm. like the fact that members are not being asked. Exactly. Because my union and my wife's union 
which is two different unions. They have both <laughs> endorsed, and neither one of us had our opinion asked about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm willing to respect the majority of, of our membership. And if the majority of the membership wants to do this, then so be it. I will, you know, abide by the will of the majority because I believe in that, mm-hmm. even if I wouldn't vote to do that. But that's the thing. We should have some input. And as I was talking to you earlier off the air, you know, it it only adds fuel to the fire of anti-union critiques, right? Because the right wing in this country wants you to believe that unions are just in the pockets of Democrats, uh, that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi are the same people as Randy Weingarten and Willie Garcia and, you know, Sean O'Brien. And they're all the same in the same club. And I would say that that's not accurate. But when union leaders in D.C., you know, make these gushing endorsements without the least bit of member engagement or input, that gives them an argument, right? And and I know it's not an accurate reflection of like where the union's resources are spent um, or, or how, you know, unions do their work day in, day out, but it, it certainly gives credence to some of those uh, right-wing anti-union critiques. Right. And, um, you know, I think it's a mistake for labor officials, labor leaders to to act as if they are in the pockets of mainstream right. establishment Democrats, uh, because mainstream establishment establishment Democrats have abandoned labor for the past mm-hmm. 50 years. Right. That's not you know, and I don't think that's a radical opinion to to say that. That's just an observation. Right. Um, you know, I, I just yeah, I, I just find it objectionable to do it in this way. And um, I think we could do better right. in terms of the process. I certainly think we could do better in terms of a candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, realistically, maybe not. Maybe the end results are all, are all the same. Right. Maybe you poll the membership and you take your time and you, you let the primary play out. And at the end of the day, you still endorse Joe Biden and do the same thing you were going to do. You know, OK, fair enough. But uh, I, I just I get the same heartburn that you do. And I understand this is a controversial topic. I understand, you know, even some of our sponsors may not even appreciate this conversation. But we have to have real authentic conversations about this stuff because it does matter. Because when you go out and you talk to the general public about unions and why they're good and why you should join them and why we should support them, one of the first things that's going to come up is, oh, that's just Democrat stuff. Right. Oh, that's just Joe Biden and them. Right. And this doesn't help. Right. Let me tell you. And, and, and you know, like, like I mentioned earlier, e- even though, you know, the this does send a signal that signal is not accurate you know the super majority of union spending comes from local unions and local unions do not spend a lot of money thinking about who are we going to endorse they don't uh, spend a lot of resources or time sending people out to knock doors that's just not what local unions do right uh but but uh local unions spend way more money than international unions do and so, you know, the accurate assessment of the labor movement is actually that, you know, uh, uh, limitations and all, 
the majority of the time and resources, the super majority of the time and resources that are spent by unions, go to representing members, go to fighting for higher wages, uh, go to saving workers from unfair, uh, you know, unfair treatment on the job and, and, and safer working conditions. And all of that is true. But this kind of stuff, when uh, the, the most visible parts of our unions are coming out swinging for somebody that has just as a fact of the matter, not had our back every step of the way is bad is bad and 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 also it's not even great it's not even uh you know the most effective thing for biden i mean even thinking as a as a uh if i were to be thinking as a biden political operative what is the more um what is the more convincing thing that i could tout on the campaign trail what would be the more valuable thing to have as a resource on the campaign trail? Is it more valuable to have a statement from an international union that is created by half a dozen people in DC that none of the members are consulted on or immediately after I <laughs> announce my campaign, immediately after I announce my campaign that no members are asked about? Is that the most valuable thing? Or would it be more valuable if after the primary season is over, the unions poll their membership, have a referendum of some kind, and then by virtue of the will of their members, the union is able to say, our members voted. Our members voted, and a majority of our members think that our union should endorse Joe Biden for president of the United States. And so by virtue of the will of our members, we are dedicating this many resources and this many boots on the ground to make sure that that happens. And this is why. Which would be more valuable? Obviously, I think the second would be more valuable. But instead, what's happening is the first. What's happening is, just as a fact of the matter, and you know, look, I, and I'm happy to I'm happy to talk to any of these people in DC, and I'm sure most of these people in DC have their heads screwed on on right and their hearts in the right place. But as a fact of the matter, all of these statements were crafted by maybe half a dozen people in DC, and the members were not consulted. And so it's not an effective endorsement. It's just not. It's just not. And so we shouldn't be doing ineffective endorsements. We shouldn't be doing ineffective endorsements. Our members should be involved when we endorse political candidates, especially at the national level where everybody has an opinion on it. You know, I think maybe, maybe it's one thing if you're endorsing a local union is endorsing people on the local level without, you know, without, uh, you know, uh, uh, input from the membership, because I think, you know, a lot of the membership just isn't. And so, you know, there's a place for like political education there. Um, but on the national level where people have an opinion about this kind of stuff, um, you really just can't be going and doing stuff like this, uh, without members voice. And, 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 you know, it's not even like most of the members are going to disagree ultimately with a Joe Biden endorsement, right? Because union members vote for Democrats like 60, 40, you know, so if you pulled the members in all likelihood, you're going to be able to get a Joe Biden endorsement. And so why not just do that? Why not just do that? It's, I, I can't, I can't fathom it. And so it's just very frustrating as a member of the labor movement, as a member of the, uh, uh, you know, fortunately my union hasn't done this yet. Um, and, and the last time that we endorsed, we did actually have a referendum. We did have a referendum and the results of the referendum were abided by. And, um, 
and AFGE endorsed the candidate that uh, that the members voted for. And we only endorsed after the primary. Uh, we ended up endorsing Joe Biden, uh, but it was because the members voted to. So hopefully that's the process that we follow this year. I don't know if it's in the Constitution or not, but but yeah, it's just yeah, it, it, it's bad. It, it's not it's not good as a matter of democracy, as a, as a principled unionist and, uh, you know, supporter of democracy. We should not be doing this kind of stuff. Uh, and then cynically, as like a political operative, it's not even the most effective way to do this kind of thing. Yeah, and as we kind of close up, I just wanted to something that David said and David Story said in the chat that is very true is just like realistically, what is the alternative? Um, and that's what I was saying that you know, as much as I'd like the process to look differently and feel differently. I recognize that the end result was probably going to be this regardless, right? Even if they had taken their time and polled the membership. Uh, and I think that that speaks to a much deeper issue we have. If that really is the best we can do, is mm -hmm. a Joe Biden versus a Ron DeSantis or a Donald Trump, you know, it is a sad reflection of the situation here in the United States. Right. Uh, and, you know, my hope is that we have a robust enough working class movement in this country to exert our own demands upon yeah. politicians of all stripes uh, and build consensus around a true pro-worker agenda in this country, uh, which hasn't been happening. Right. Yeah. And, you know, like I, like I said, it's not that I would be ultimately against a Joe Biden endorsement in the general election. I think that probably for a lot of unions, maybe even for most unions, that would make sense. Um, I think also not endorsing makes sense at all. Right, right. I do too. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, frankly, you know, like me personally, um, like I said at the beginning, I think the Democrats should be asking us for votes. Right. That's the way that ought to work. Um, not our union leaders asking us for votes for Democrats. Right. Uh, and I just, you know, I am uncomfortable with that. I don't care for it. It's not going to change how I act. I didn't vote for Joe Biden and do not plan on voting for Joe Biden because he doesn't need my vote in the state of Alabama, frankly. Right. Uh, it won't make a damn bit of difference. So won't get my vote, won't get my money. Uh, but yeah, I, I would respectfully suggest to our union leaders in D.C., uh, that there's a lot we could do with our resources that goes mm. beyond issuing gush gushing endorsements of Joe Biden the day he announces. Yep. And, uh, it, you know, to the extent that we have to be engaged in electoral politics, um, there are alternatives to what we've been doing. Because what we have been doing really hasn't been paying dividends by yep. any objective measurement. Yep. All right, folks. Well, uh, so that's our thoughts on unions endorsing Biden. Uh, and the summary is not good. Not good, folks. <laughs> so with that, we're going to go ahead and take a break. We're going to uh, be right back to wrap up the first half of the show. If you want to call in, the phone number is 844-899-8857, 844-899-TVLR. We will be right back. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. 
That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.com. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. The Laborers International Union of North America, Local 366, is proudly recruiting North Alabama workers to work construction and nuclear plant maintenance. If you're interested, please contact Donna at their training center to start the process. That phone number is 256 415 Again, that phone number is 256-415-7452. No experience is needed. Free training is offered, but you must be able to pass a background check and a drug test. Local hiring that grows our community with good-paying jobs that have benefits is their mission. Live better. Work union. Local 366. Feel the power. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. I'm attorney Tommy Senyard. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senyard Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senyard Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senyard Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senyard Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senyard Law. The name with proven results. 
Do you work in an auto manufacturing plant? Are you tired of taking pride in your work without getting the respect you deserve? Consider joining the fight to unionize. Auto workers across the industry are coming together because with a union, we can negotiate for the pay, benefits, and security that we deserve and can help sustain our families. In union plants, workers bargain for long-term wage increases, competitive bonuses, and more affordable benefits. You can join the growing wave of organizing today. Find out more and contact us at Uniting Auto Workers on Facebook or contact UAW Region 8 in Lebanon, Tennessee by going to www.uawregion8.net. That's www.uawregion, the number 8.net. A better future is ours. Alabama's only union talk radio show. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. We've got a phone number in the line. is open 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can call or text and we might bring you on the air or respond to your text message. So we're going to wrap up here. And uh, what do you want to talk about? What's uh, what's how do you want to wrap this up? Well, I know we had some some state stories to talk about. Um, maybe we could we could hit. Uh, I know I wanted to mention HB two hundred nine. Certainly, uh, this this won't take long. But I uh-huh. wanted to make sure I, I talked about this bill while we're on the main show. So I'll start there, and and we'll see what we have left. Um, but I wanted to lift up this message from the League of Women Voters of Alabama. Uh, this is a nonpartisan group, a very non-controversial group, frankly, uh, if I'm just being honest. And even they are highly uh, opposed to a new piece of legislation that is making its way through the legislature in Alabama. It's called House Bill 209, HB 209. Uh, it's already made it out of the House Constitution and Campaign and Elections Committee, is my understanding. And basically, this bill would criminalize providing absentee voting assistance. So as many listeners know, uh, there's been a lot of discussion of voter fraud in our country. And, um, you know, many Republicans have been fighting imaginary voter issues. Um, And so this kind of comes out of that. Uh, A lot of that rhetoric and a lot of these initiatives to restrict the right to vote, to make it harder to vote. Uh, I Call me crazy, call me radical. I think we should make it easier for people to vote. Uh, and I think that maybe we could do things like having a national holiday for voting day. Uh, maybe we could expand access to early voting and mail-in voting and absentee voting. So that's really the direction we ought to be going in is to engage more people, to get more people in the process to make it easier uh, because it shouldn't be hard for folks to vote and elect their representatives. But, of course, that is not how many in the Alabama House of Representatives feel. Uh, Forty-two Alabama House Republicans uh, have come together to co-sponsor this anti-democratic legislation, which would, quote, prohibit any 
person from distributing, ordering, requesting, collecting, completing, obtaining, or delivering an absentee ballot application or absentee ballot of another person in certain circumstances and would provide for exceptions. The bill would prohibit any person from receiving a payment or providing a payment to another person for distributing, ordering, requesting, collecting, completing, obtaining, or delivering an absentee ballot application. And the bill would establish criminal penalties for violations. So if HB 209 passes, individuals who help a voter participate in the absentee voting process would be prosecuted and convicted of a Class D felony. Okay, so uh, I was elected to be political coordinator for my local. Most locals have, you know, some kind of role to that effect, uh, legislative affairs committee you know, a political coordinator, whatever the title may be and the role may be. But, you know, one of the things that we do in our unions is try to make sure that our union members participate in elections at the local, state, and national level uh, so that we can try to have influence on these uh, elections, right? We just talked about our unions, for better or worse, coming out with these endorsements of Joe Biden. Uh, well, you know, that only matters if you can vote. And uh, I get that the absentee voting process is not going to impact the majority of voters, but it will impact voters. And it shouldn't be we shouldn't risk a felony by helping our brothers and sisters participate in the election. Right. If I deliver an absentee ballot to someone, if I give them a ride to go pick up an absentee ballot or deliver it and drop it off like, you know, those shouldn't be activities that are going to risk a felony charge. And it's over nothing. There is no there is no evidence of any like wrongdoing here that's being addressed, uh, which is classic Alabama legislature. Right. They take a problem that doesn't exist and write a bill that's supposed to be a solution for this non-existent problem that uh, in itself creates new problems, uh, new problems that typically violate people's rights. Uh, so HB 209 will incite fear and confusion for vulnerable and underserved voters who have in the past obtained information and assistance from trusted, nonpartisan, nonpartisan organizations such as the League. If HB 209 passes, voting rights groups, churches, and other nonprofit volunteer organizations would be prohibited from providing nonpartisan free assistance to voters with the absentee ballot request process. It would also criminalize individuals who are working to increase voter participation. So the League of Women Voters of Alabama, the Alabama Voting Rights Coalition, uh, many, many organizers and advocates and organizations are asking your assistance in defeating HB 209. Uh, and if you'd like more information, I recommend an article by Patrick Darrington with the Alabama Political Reporter. Uh, and one thing he also discusses is how advocates believe that this bill probably violates the Americans with Disabilities Act, as well as Section 208 of the Voting Rights Act. Um, but again, you know, frequent followers of Alabama legislation know that they have never been deterred from passing a bill for fear it would be unconstitutional. Uh, and at no point does Alabama Republicans ever consider that or, you know, stop themselves from passing a bill for fear it could be unconstitutional. So HB 209, uh, it's something that really bothers me as a union member. It bothers me as someone who, you know, believes folks should have a right to vote.
and I wanted to make sure I put that information out there. All right, Adam, appreciate that. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. We will continue in overtime, though. Uh, so make sure that you find us online, Facebook, YouTube, uh, where you can continue listening to the program. Uh, so check out my new article in In These Times, um, An Explosion of Layoffs in the End of Paper and J. You can also uh, check out Labor Notes. They are always doing new trainings if you're interested in uh, unionizing your workplace or becoming a better union activist. Uh, the Alabama International Fr uh, Fringe Festival is a three-day event taking place on May 12, 13, and 14 uh, and includes a performance of Toll Puddle, the musical about union struggles in 1800s England. So really excited about that. If I wasn't getting married that weekend, I would be going to that. Uh, we're going to be talking to some of them soon about that. Uh, make sure that you bookmark our website, tvlr.fm. Send us some money on tvlr.fm slash donate and uh, buy our merch at tvlr.fm slash store. Stay tuned for Overtime. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube where we're going to be talking about Florida a lot. We're going to be talking about Florida a lot, where DeSantis is proving that, you know, Republicans don't care about small government, that uh, where Republicans in Florida are attacking working people, attacking our their ability to have a living wage, attacking tenants, attacking their unions, really crazy stuff happening in Florida. We're also going to be talking about uh, Sega Union, the default lots of stuff so make sure you stay tuned and with that we will see you on the radio next week all power to the workers <laughs>